I mean, what's my football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Pelizzola here with Sam Monson. And today we are breaking down Sam's what one and only mock draft here? Uh, certainly first. Well, depending on what you class the, the one we did on the podcast last week. That was yeah. an us thing. Well, it's, it's Mock Draft Monday over at PFF.com. And Sam's is live. And we're going to rip it apart here mm. live on the podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in on YouTube and, of course, in podcast world. It's, uh, it's been a record month for us, Sam. We're just, you know, growing, 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 and we appreciate all of the new listeners. If you are new, and if you're just here for draft season, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, because we're here all off season, and of course, of course, next year as well. Yeah. You're not going to give us your takeaway of from the Masters coming off, you know, Monday, Masters weekend? No. No? Okay. No. That's I didn't have time to watch the Masters. You know what my takeaway from the Masters is? Did you nap? Did I nap? I don't believe oh, so. You're supposed to take naps during the Masters. Oh, no, I didn't do that. Okay, what's your takeaway? Uh, hats are like a cheat code for baldness. Okay. All those people walking around. This is what I'm saying, right? It, it, it's, this is why I think of this rather than you. Although, you know, you're getting there. Um, you put a hat on, and the guy looks 10 years younger, and then right at the end, you finish the round, the hat comes off. You're like, oh, God. It's <laughs> like He looks like me. You could be... I just need this is the Matt Hasselbeck thing. There's a mighty roar from the uh, control room here. Matt Hasselbeck could shave 10 years off his age towards the end of his career when he put a baseball cap on on the sideline. Go to the sideline, baseball cap comes on, like, oh, look at that. Fresh faced 24 year old over there. Here, why don't and you throw on a Western and Southern helmet? The cap can't... comes off when the helmet has to go on. You're like, Matt Hasselbeck is like 45 years old. Is it too late for me to become a hat guy? No. Just, just Again, we have a whole lot of new viewers. And, and, and new listeners. Yeah, well, the yeah. new listeners definitely don't know. That's what I'm saying. I could put a cap on. The new listeners would never know. Why don't you do it? Become a, All right, become a go. baseball I got, cap I got guy. a new Ireland cap. I'll bring it in. Perfect. And on we go. You're going to be wearing hats all the time now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have no master's takeaway. Too okay. many kids. I didn't get, to, didn't get to watch it. Yeah. Used to enjoy the Sunday afternoon. Yeah, you need a lot of free time for the masters as an entity, and you don't have free time because you have kids. Yeah, we have people within the company, though, that we you know masters shirts and cakes and yeah. celebrations. Yeah, they got a lot of free time. They're they don't single. have kids yet. No kids, yeah. no wife. Perfect. So they're enjoying it. Yeah. So anyway, let's, let's rip apart your, your mock draft here. Sweet. Let's let the people get in here. Tweet it out. Tell people to come make fun of your mock draft. It's already tweeted, as is the live show. Thing. Great. This thing that we're doing now. So you did your mock, and, and the, the question I always ask is is this what you would do or is this a prediction because 99 yeah. of mock drafts are a prediction i've all i was one of the first people i think to just do 
what I would do. That used to be like claiming that as a thing. I am like Todd McShay used to do it, but like one out of his six, he's like, I'm really changing it up. This is a what I would do mock draft. That was the that's the only way. Just it's usually been the way PFF has done mocks because our whole thing is. I think Renner started to flip it into like his. Well, Renner's always been led by the pack a little bit. Yeah, you know. Oh, he's a follower for sure. Yeah, yeah. But so yeah, generally PFF shtick is well. Look, we've actually analyzed all these things, all these players. Not just watch the tape. We've ground it, ground it fine, Steve, in a dust. Fine um, ground tape. Yep. And therefore, we're able to tell you with a slightly different thing, uh, with a different slant, what, what's going to happen. So we're predicting. We're not predicting, rather. We're predicting the outcome of these players and therefore telling you what we would do as GMs in all these mock drafts. So, But when you asked me the question, was this that type of mock, I was like, ish. Because I always start off like that. And like, yeah, this is going to be what I would do as GM for each one of these teams. And then you reach like a certain team. And you're like, well, what they would do in this spot is so obvious. And it's kind of fun. So I'm, I'm just going to roll with it. Like, why would I go, well, we know what they would do. It's really clear. But I'm going to go in a different direction. So there's sometimes, and you can see if you can spot them as we go, where you're like, yeah, this is just what they would do. This is just what they would do. Okay. So it's over at PFF.com. Your hybrid mock, what yes. you would do, and a little bit of what teams would do. Let's get into it. Uh, at starting at one and two, no surprise. Right. Uh, by the way, my mock draft comes out next Monday, so we'll oh sweet, we'll tear apart my mock yeah. next Monday. Before we get started, actually, do we want to do a live mock draft with oh god the viewers this what week? What did the people say? You pitched it a lot to of people, people said yes. A lot of people said yes. I think if we hype it up over the next couple of days, We've mock got draft with us on YouTube live. So next week on is Thursday. your mock draft, and then we have one more Monday before the actual draft. Right? Correct. So we could do it then. You want to do it the week of? Yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of news and buzz to maybe talk about. Then we, have a thir- well, then we have the Thursday pod that's the morning of. So if we do it on a Monday. Okay. Anyway, this is housekeeping. Let's, it is. let's keep this But off, I just want to see how many more people are really interested in us doing a live mock draft with you. Um, I'll, mine will be out next Monday, though. Yes. Okay. So yours, you're going Trevor Lawrence, number one, with the Jags. Yeah. And Zach Wilson, number two, to the Jets. No big surprise yeah. there. Yeah. We fleshed this out before. I think... You can make the case that Zach Wilson has a higher ceiling, is maybe a better uh, player, certainly has a higher single-season grade than we've seen from Trevor Lawrence. On the other hand, if this is your job, if everything is on the line for you, which one are you more more confident in? I think you have to lean Trevor Lawrence. Greater sample size, just no real flaws. There's no there's no um, absence of data in a specific area. You know, the Zach Wilson has questions about his game. Lawrence really doesn't, so... Yeah. By the way, we had somebody go through on the uh, PFF MDS, the mock draft simulator, mm-hmm. and actually try to force a trade from two to one, right? The Jets and the oh, yeah, Jaguars. And it took like everything. It took, it was, it, it made Mike Ditka blush, <laughs> is what I would say. It made. At least the, you ended up with a quarterback at the end of it. Dick only ended up with Ricky Williams. <laughs> he did. Well, he did. In a wedding dress. Um, because I'm weird, I was watching the 99 draft the other day. Yeah. And, uh, rehashing some of that and Ditya is within minutes is on ESPN smoking a cigar yeah. talking about how he's going to go to the golf course like my draft <laughs> is done I'm off to the golf course I got Ricky Williams I got my guy I'm off and then they went three and 13 there is I mean and he got fired yeah the <laughs> the reasoning behind why he did that the ability to just light up a cigar and go to the golf course I probably reached single digits of percentage points, right? Like why he did it. Well, if I light fire on, if I set fire to all my draft picks right now and just get Ricky Williams, 
I can be out of here. Yeah, two days of golf. Because yeah, remember, yeah. it used to be a two-day event, right. Saturday and Sunday. You got your weekend back. Like, there's at least it, – it's reached into single-digit percentage points that the reason he did it was for that. Yeah, it's late April. It's probably one of the first good weekends yeah. of the now, year. Now, I don't think it gets to double-digit points, but I think it's definitely single digits. Oh, it was in there. Yeah. It was definitely in there. And, uh, you know, and you, don't, you can't miss on draft picks if you don't make them. So That's very true. There's another Well, another unless benefit. you count all of that being one. Yeah, anyway. Maybe you can. Uh, anyway, uh, the mock draft sim at pff.com took the entire Jets' next dra- couple drafts in order to trade up for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. To answer our question from the Crazy Draft Theories podcast last week, that I would do. I would give up Trevor Lawrence if, if you told me – if I'm the Jags, J- rather. If I'm the Jags, <clears throat> I would give up the number one overall pick. Yeah. If you gave me number two <laughs> and everything and everything from 2021, 22, and 23, <laughs> yeah, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is worth you know that. 20 draft picks, right. including the one right below number one, number two. So uh, you also went at number three, Justin Fields. Yeah, to the San Francisco. The draft 49ers. starts at three. We we debated this last week as well. We don't we don't need to rehash all of the quarterback decisions here. Are we believing – I think Eric Eager is going to write about this this week, that this might be the best bet mm. in the draft so fields I went, to the Niners. I went and rewatched those three quarterbacks that are in the options of this, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. I like all three, actually, in a weird way. Um, I think that Mac Jones has a real chance to succeed, to thrive, to be a very good NFL quarterback in spite of the fact that his physical tools are not amazing. I just would not, for the life of me, bet three first-round picks on it, which is what – the 49ers would be doing if they made that pick. Um, Trey Lance, so almost before I'd seen any of him, I had this sort of picture in my mind of, um, you know, raw, uh, toolsy quarterback that might be a good bet to succeed because all the toolsy quarterbacks have kind of worked out quite well. Um, And in a weird way, I think that's exactly what he is, but I've come to that conclusion via like a weird windy road. Like when Ben Stockwell was watching him, I, for, I can't call him director of analysis because he isn't anymore, but I've forgotten what his actual title is. It's more ridiculous than director of analysis, and therefore I'm just not going to use it. It's like an ben executive Stockwell, director of something. Right? Yeah, Ben Stockwell, yeah. who like runs the data at PFF. Yeah, uh, and, good job, Ben. And is a good you know, football mind. He watched him, and he was like, I, I don't think he has a strong arm. Um, you know, That's just one of the things people say, but I don't see it very often. And I know what he means. But I think he does have a strong arm. He just doesn't deploy it very often. Um, and I likened it to like, you know, it's Masters weekend. You know, when you're playing golf, every now and again you hit one really well. Like if you're not a good golfer, every now and again you connect perfectly and it makes that ping sound and it just it, it flies and it looks great and it feels great. That's what Trey Lance throwing seems like to me. Every now and again he just rips one. It's like, oh, yeah, there's the arm. Like it's definitely there. And then you wonder, like, what happens in between then? I, I don't, it just doesn't seem to, to let it fly. I don't know if he's consciously trying to take arm strength out of it to try and be more accurate or what it is. But for some reason, it isn't there on a, on a down-to-down basis. But again, because all these toolsy guys have kind of worked out recently, I'm sort of bullish on the idea that a team can take him and fix that. Maybe not fix the accuracy part, but, like, actually get him displaying the arm strength on a regular basis which will offset some of the inaccuracy. So I, I do like those two, but you watch Justin Fields and you're just like, I mean, there's just less to be concerned about. He's the most accurate of the three. He's got arguably the best arm of the three. He's as athletic as Trey Lance, albeit maybe not quite as, as natural a runner 
Um, but he's just the best combination of all of it. So take him at three. Ben, I, I love Ben's notes. I, he has had a little bit more time this year to actually watch prospects while he's also honing and training people in the grading process. So I always ask Ben, when you watch football, just give me your notes because it is insightful. And this is it is it will sound crazy, not to to Ben Stockwell's horn even more, but I want to do that. Nobody knows Ben. Nobody knows anything about him. He is like. Um, I can't. Uh, the Patriots guy that's behind the scenes, pink stripes guy. Yeah. Uh, what the hell is that guy? No, I just forgot Ernie. his name. Ernie. Ernie Adams. Yeah, there you go. Ben Stockwell is like Ernie Adams. Yes. Okay. Ben Stockwell is to PFF as Ernie Adams is to Bill Belichick. Norwich is Ernie Adams. <laughs> I'm just saying, like Ben sits behind <laughs> the scenes, watches more football than than maybe anybody in the world. Yeah. Has a great understanding of it, explains it in a funky accent, but still explains it really, really well. Funky accent. Right? And I just, I love getting Ben's thoughts and notes. Um, so when he was watching Justin Fields in particular, he's got, now first off, he's also very wordy. But Ben, yes. Ben has a whole paragraph venting about Ohio State's offense. It is. I, I, I understand 100% what he means. I hate watching that offense. And... Way back when I first watched some Justin Fields, like my first takeaway was I, this offense is a nightmare to try and evaluate Justin Fields because it basically forces him into doing this whole it, – it, it creates the narrative of Justin Fields can't work through his progression right. because it actually doesn't want him to. It sort of forces him into this world of you know where you're going pre-snap, so just – Take the snap, wait. walk back two steps, two steps, stare down your first target and wait for him to come open and then just fire the ball at him. And, like, that's not Justin Fields. That is this offense essentially manufacturing that on a consistent basis. But that's why I think if the analysis is objective, it is fair to say it's not so much he can't. Remember, it's not yes. about he can't. It's he hasn't, right? right? He hasn't done it. But so it's just if, it makes it a pain to go through and evaluate because right. it, it sort of – it's promoting a thing that isn't helpful. But then it gets into – so then it's like you're you're looking for plays where he gets to his second read yeah. or he gets to his check down. And, and there, there are some. And, 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 you know, Ben made the notes as well. It's like, hey, in the Clemson game, they, they had a few, and he got there, right? So then it becomes this can he do it versus how often. And you still – you want to lean on when you see things more often. It's, it's easier to project. Yep. But it was just – it was interesting getting Ben's take and having that match. So does Justin Fields – sit on his first read a little bit, not work through the field quickly. Yes, like that can still be true, but the offense is also not really doing him many favors. So all that said, you're going with Justin Fields at three. That's what we did in our mock. I, I don't want to deviate from that in my own. I, I feel pretty good about Lawrence and then Wilson and then Justin Fields. So I think from my point of view, the, the draft starts at four yeah. with the Atlanta Falcons. It starts at three. But for me, I'm all about Fields at three. What are we doing with the Atlanta Falcons at four? So I, we went through this last time, right? I just I think that the Falcons are in this tough spot where the value to trade down is not there. And, you know, the Atlanta Falcons are open to trading the number four pick, source says, is the ESPN report, right? Which essentially, the subtext of that to me is that the Atlanta Falcons are desperately trying to trade the number four overall pick, but nobody's calling. That's like, it's a giant open sign, you know, open for business, the number foot war overall pick, and they haven't been able to get it so far. And the reason I don't think they've been able to get it is because the teams left that are in need of a quarterback after the 49ers pick at three don't need to get to four. They just don't. 
they they need to get to six or seven if the Lions aren't in the quarterback market. They don't need to get as high as four. So why would you throw away that extra draft capital to move further? Um, so the Atlanta Falcons, are, I think, are going to be in this tough spot where they're not going to have a trade partner to get to four. The defensive talent is not there at four. They're just going to have to pick the best offensive weapon or the best offensive player that they like at four. And I think that leaves them with Kyle Pitts. Do you buy – I want to talk about the fourth quarterback off the board really quickly. Okay. And, and why maybe the Falcons aren't holding the cards, so to speak. Uh, my buddy Mike, listener of the show, friend of the show because he's my buddy. I'll introduce mm-hmm. you sometime. He, he went and sent me a list. It's from patspulpit.com. And I think it is Patriots – it's a Patriots website that was saying, if you get the fourth quarterback in the draft, here's what that looks like historically. Do you buy into this at all? There's some like wisdom of the crowds there. There's some just playing the odds that there are going to be four or five good quarterbacks in the league. So do you buy into this at all? Would you look at this list historically and say, I, I just don't want the fourth quarterback in the draft, right? Last year, it was Jordan Love. Two years ago, it was Drew Locke. 2018, Josh Rosen and going backwards. Deshaun Kaiser. Mm. Christian Hackenberg. He never should have been the fourth quarterback, but he was. Yeah. 2015 was Sean Mannion. Ooh. 2014 is when, the best name on this list. How high was Sean Mannion drafted? In 15? Uh, check it out. Fourth, fifth round? That there was a rough year. Because there was, it was Winston. Only Winston Mariota and Trevor Simeon, I believe, played snaps in that draft. Third round pick. He was in the third? Mannion? 89 overall. He was that high. But that so, shows how bad that draft was. Derek Carr is the best name on this list, 2014. Yeah. And then going backwards, Matt Barkley. Okay. Brandon Whedon, who was oh, in the first God. round. Christian Ponder, who was in the first round. Yeah. Colt McCoy, third round. Pat White, Chad Henney, John Beck, Kellen Clemens, <laughs> Charlie Fry, J.P. Lossman, first rounder. Yeah. Rex Grossman, first rounder. Yeah. Josh McCown. That's the second best name on this list, I think. Yeah. Him and Grossman, maybe? I don't know. And then Marcus Tuiasasopo in 2001. Marcus. Yeah. How about that? So do you buy into this whole, like, we, we're an analytics company and we, do the, we, we run the numbers and all that stuff. But some people look at numbers and they're just like, well, historically, the fourth quarterback isn't good. So just don't, I just don't want him. Yeah. I mean, there's probably something to the idea that there is a limited number of NFL caliber quarterbacks that are ever going to come out in any given moment and, and be, you know, viable. So when you start to look at number four, I mean, I imagine without checking that the list for number five is very similar. Um, maybe the list for number three is a little bit better, and the list for number two is better than that, and the list for number one yeah. is the best. Um, but the idea that once you get to four in a draft class, this is why I'm saying like when you when you're making all these pre-draft decisions and you're like, well, they just go get the fourth, they just go get the quarterback. There's five of them in the first round. Go get the one that's left. I don't think it's just a, it's not as simple as that because half these teams are going to look at this list of five and say, I have three. It's not a list of five. It's a list of three viable quarterbacks and the next two don't work out. So we're not going for the, if those are the only two left, we're no longer in the quarterback market. And I think that's where Carolina was already. They made that determination because the draft is, is essentially set already with one and two being Lawrence and Wilson. I think there's a bunch of teams that look at this draft and say, there are not five quarterbacks, there's two. And once the two are gone, we're out. So I think Philadelphia already made that determination. I think Carolina already made that determination. So all this 
obviously San Francisco didn't because they they went up for three. Um, but this, I don't think it's as simple as there's five quarterbacks. I think teams are looking at that. So that well, I 40, think is the Forty Niners <clears throat> going up to three helps, right? But that I think so. Other teams make this decision. Now. Yeah, but what you're looking at is two different interpretations of the number of viable quarterbacks that are in this draft. So at least two teams have essentially already made the determination that there's two, not five. Uh, one team has made the determination that there's at least three because they were happy to go up to number three with a lot of trade capital to get the third guy. Um, but the point is, I think that list of names for the fourth guy is essentially an indication that, look, once you get beyond those first couple of guys, it, it's very much a case of you know fit or luck about what you're coming away with. And that's why I think we might start to see four and five slip a little bit further than people think they were. I agree. Um, yeah. On the other hand, you know, not to spend the entire show talking about Ben again, but Ben was making the point that that 2018 cl- uh, 2017 class of Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson, in particular Mahomes and Watson, the way they panned out after being the 10th and 11th pick or whatever they were, might be forcing all of the first-round quarterbacks like well inside the top 10 because you can't risk anymore letting them fall to 10 and it turns out he's Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Like if you think a guy has a chance to be an elite NFL quarterback, you have to pick him at five. You can't let him slip that far. So maybe this group of quarterbacks all goes in the top six like Adam Schefter is talking about. On the other hand, I do think that that, cha- that difference in, in evaluation amongst the teams is going to cause one or two of them to slip outside of the top 10. Yeah, that's the the other thing that is wor- that would be working against that theory of everybody going as far as quarterbacks go. Like Carson Wentz just got traded. Jared Goff got traded. So now there's this number out there, the last first-round quarterback or top 10 quarterback to do anything well or whatever. It's like 10 years apart. But that also I don't think matters because you just you have to take shots on quarterbacks and – the payoff is just it's an uneven payout right you have to do it and if you miss you miss and you move on so I don't think teams are scared of that let's get back to the mock draft here Atlanta Falcons at four so this pivot point we said maybe they're not holding the cards you're going Kyle Pitts here yeah why Kyle Pitts over Jamar Chase over a tackle over a defensive player which is a huge need for the Falcons I think Pitts is (laughs) so Let's let's thread this needle so that I don't contradict what I've said previously. No, many, make, many a sound bite. Over. make a sound. No, bite. so I'm going to thread the needle, right? I think Pitts is the most special player available in this draft, certainly outside of quarterbacks. And um, the player that when you describe what he is, is not in every single draft. And in fact, is not in many drafts at all. Jamar Chase is a very good receiver. and People talk about him as the best prospect since Julio Jones and whatever. But you can describe Jamar Chase's skill set in most drafts. You can't describe Kyle Pitts' skill set in every single draft. So I like that. I think take. you chase, you take the guy that you think is genuinely special and not available very often, which some people might suggest is akin to chasing unicorns, which I've criticized and cautioned against in the past. I would say unless you know it's that a as unicorn. long as you phrase it in the way that I initially did. You haven't done that, and therefore are fine. All right, so you're going Kyle Pitts, and let's just dream for a little bit. Matt Ryan, they're stuck with him for next two years, or playing him the next two years. Let's dream. Kyle Pitts, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley all on the field at the same time. Yeah. And Hayden Hurst. 
and Russell Gage. That's a pretty good group of playmakers. And in a, in a in a division where you have to keep up with the Bucks, the Saints will probably still be able to score pretty well. And then you have the Panthers. The Falcons, you got to put some points on the board, and they can hit defense in later rounds. Yep. So I don't hate that. Let's roll. All right. The um, How many times have we debated this? Bengals at five. Not just us. Everybody. Everybody's debating Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell. We've discussed it plenty here on the PFF NFL podcast. You're going Jamar Chase. Yep. Um, and honestly, I mean, so Robert Mays wrote a great article on this. He came down the other side that says, you know, you get the the protection first. I I think it's a coin flip. Honestly, I think you can make a good case in either direction that you're better off getting an elite tackle prospect first. You're better off getting Jamar Chase first. Either way, I think you're going to be in a good position as the Bengals to come back in round two and address the one that you didn't pick. Um, I mean, in this particular scenario, I didn't engineer it this way, but you can come back in the second round. Elijah Vera Tucker will be there at the top of the second. That's a pretty good spot if you get Jamar Chase and Vera Tucker out of those two picks. Um, so I, I don't think it matters. I think for for Cincinnati, it's a case of we can't screw this pick up, essentially. And if you're flipping a coin, why not get Joe Burrow, his favorite college wide receiver, who had an amazing connection, put up crazy numbers, and I assume – he is like lobbying for behind the scenes. Like, why not just make your quarterback happy, give him his favorite weapon who also helps your offense? That's the way I look at it. Uh, in my mock next week, I, I'm back and forth on it too. And, and I think, you know, one of our one of our listeners sent us a tweet about um, Mays and how he broke it down. And mm -hmm. one of his arguments for it was the, the certainty, and I use that in air quotes, there's more certainty in first-round tackles than – first round receivers in recent history we know the john rosses of the world and stuff like that right well not just that but it's the order of being able to so this is one of the big storylines of this draft it's the certainty not just of the round that you're able to categorize players into but the differentiation between the players in each category right so how often are you able to accurately determine which of the first round wide receivers will be the better player as opposed to just, is he a first-round receiver, is he a second, third guy, versus how often are you able to predict who the better tackle will be? And the history says that you're able to predict the better tackle, or at least the draft says that you're able to predict the better tackle more often than the better receiver. So as much as everyone thinks that Jamar Chase is the number one receiver on every board, there's a pretty good chance that in, you know, whatever it is, nine months' time, we're going to be looking at this and saying, God, you idiots, like Devontae Smith is the best receiver, or you know, Terrace Marshall is the best receiver, whoever it is, right? Whereas the the history says you've got a far better chance of looking at this in, in a year's time and saying, yeah, Panay Zool is the best tackle. And I, I would almost look at – here's, here's what would lean me toward Panay. Here's my argument for it. It's not so much hit rate as much as I know how the NFL values receivers compared to how I value them. And I know how the NFL values tackles. They're more like, There's more likely to be a tackle run – than a wide receiver run in the top 10. Mm. It's just the nature of it. And if there's a tackle run, there's fewer tackles on the turn in the second round. If there's, if there's no, and if the wide receivers get pushed down, again, and that, last, and last that year... that does happen in this, in this mock. There's, there's a tackle run in this mock. Right. Now, I think Cincinnati needs interior help more than they need tackle help anyway, so I'm, I'm okay with that because, like, again, if Vera Tucker lands there, I'm, I'm happy. But you're right. There's a bit. There's a much greater risk in my eyes of if there is a run on tackles, we are sitting there at the top of the second without a great option. 
it, there's no risk of that happening at receivers. Like, if there's a run of wide receivers, there's still going to be a great receiver available at the top of the second round. The one other thing to think about, though, is, again, Riley Reef isn't keeping me from drafting Panay Sewell. Sure. But if you get Vera Tucker, who I think is the best pass-blocking guard in this draft, he slots right in as a starter. Mm-hmm. And now you have Vera Tucker and Riley Reef, at least in the short term, upgrading your offensive line. Reef has a one-year contract. If next year at this time you're still looking for a tackle, it's not the worst thing in the world if you're the Bengals. Again, if the alternative is you're really locked in at wide receiver with guys getting open quickly to help Burrow get rid of the ball quickly. So Riley Reef could be a Band-Aid. You could push the tackle problem to next year at right tackle and have all, and have the wide receiver and the guard, right, which is a which is, might be a bigger need, at least in the short term, for the Bengals. So I don't hate that as, a, as an idea. Um, I just tweeted out to the fans about mm-hmm. your Denver decision here, and I actually saw this. I think it was on the Draft Network. Somebody made this exact move Monday. that you just made here. So who does Denver draft? So At number six here, they're trading up from number nine. This is, I think, a good – when you look at this, everyone's like, four or five quarterbacks going to go in the top six picks. I think there's a very real chance that that doesn't happen because Atlanta's not taking a quarterback. Um, the Bengals – I think, well, obviously they're not taking a quarterback. Um, and that suddenly starts to slip, like slip them down. So this is why I don't think a team needs to trade up to Atlanta at four, right? Which is what that is contingent on. If, the t- if five quarterbacks are going to go in the top six or whatever, somebody needs to trade to number four. And this is precisely why that doesn't happen, because why do you need to? You can trade to six instead. Now, that relies on Miami taking the value, but I think what they've done already shows that they're perfectly happy to play that game. And if you throw enough in Miami's direction, they will take that deal. So I think Denver, seeing two quarterbacks start to slide, and D- Denver may be the one team where I think they're desperate enough that they will take one of the five. Doesn't matter which one, they will be of the opinion that there are five quarterbacks in the first round. We can't start Drew Locke again. We need one of the five. Doesn't matter which one. But in this scenario, they actually have a shot at either one of the remaining two they've got a choice of two i think denver jumps up to six grabs trey lance and honestly i kind of like that fit for them i I, you like him over mac jones as a fit we've talked a lot about mac jones being the distributor and the way the receiving core is built there and that's jones fit i don't i agree with ben in that i don't think trey lance is really that raw in any way shape or form i think he actually starts day one and does a good job i just think he's a little bit more inaccurate than you would like and again there's this this recent history of teams fixing that fixing accuracy which used to be the thing that you can't fix now i don't know if it still is maybe trey lance will always be inaccurate but again i'm less concerned about that than i used to be there's a, there is a history and a pathway to more inaccurate quarterbacks being good at the nfl level even if they never get better at the accuracy um like Trey Lance has Cam Newton, Carson Wentz-type skills that can offset even a a permanent lack of accuracy compared with other quarterbacks. And he has receivers that get that wide the hell open that themselves offset that inaccuracy. So Jerry Judy, who will be five yards open every time the ball goes his way... But pass location doesn't matter as long as you just... ...will help a lot of that inaccurate passing because he gives you a wider window to hit. So I really like Trey Lance's ability to step in, start day one in Denver, and bring that extra dimension to the offense with his rushing threat. 
Wow. So Trey Lance. So you have Denver going from nine to six. Miami, who moved up to six. Yeah. Presumably because what we had talked about, they think there's a blue chipper there. Penny yeah. Sewell, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith. And I think, I think Miami calculated that there's a pretty good chance that they would get Jamar Chase because I think they probably think that the or Bengals— pissed. Maybe, but I think that they probably think that the Bengals would take Sewell, would go offensive line over receiver. Yeah. In this mock, they don't. And therefore, I think Miami are going to be like, ah, all right, I'm prepared to move down now. Like, if, if Jamar Chase was on the board, maybe we stay and we make that pick. But he's gone, so I'm okay with moving down and maybe get a wide receiver a couple of spots lower. Plus, I think they've already sort of shown that, look, if you throw enough in their direction, they will move for a couple of draft spots. So Trey Lance over Mac Jones. I'm a little yep. surprised by that. And, and that's coming from a guy that likes Mac Jones. As well, you what's, said, your argument, what's your argument against it? Give me, a, give me a good reason. I just think Mac Jones being more accurate the, will mesh with that wide receiver core a little bit better. I mean, your argument's great. I mean, it's like, look, good receivers make everybody better, mm-hmm. right? They make the inaccurate guy better. They make Mac Jones, who's a good decision maker, good you know, uh, facilitator of the offense and all of these you know, generic terms that we're using, receivers will make him better. I, I think Mac Jones could come in and move the ball pretty well with that group, and I think that would be attractive for the Broncos. Whereas I do think Lance will – there's just a – there's an inexperience and a competition issue. Like, it's just a little bit – Same riskier. number of starts, right, as Mac Jones? Yeah, but I he believe. did it in the – do it in the SEC. Yeah, but that's not – that's different. That's, that's I said experience plus Yeah, but the experience is the same. That's a wash. Yeah, I'm also just lower on Lance in general. After yeah, his well, showcase that's fine. Game I'm just making sure that your argument is sound and not bullshit. Do number of pass attempts. What's the number of pass attempts? I don't know. Trey Lance coming out of North Dakota same. State's offense where they, you know, <laughs> they, they throw the ball a handful of times a game, much like what happened with Carson Wentz. It's all Wentz. about snaps, Steve. Look, Wentz, yeah, you just look at snaps. snap count. Uh-huh. Uh, Mac Jones is more experienced. He's throwing the football a lot more. <laughs> Let me get the exact numbers here. But Look, you're dismissing rush attempts, and that's, that's, a, that's anyway. a disappointing thing to see from you seven and eight lions and panthers now here's your back-to-back tackles panay sewell to the lions rashawn slater to the panthers yep um <laughs> the lions are interesting because it's like well what do you do as the first pick of a regime that has an age right like six-year contracts for everybody nobody's getting fired anytime soon you don't have to swing for the fences on a quarterback you can bide your time until you there's one you love until maybe you're picking number one overall you get the choice of all of them so what do, you, what do you pick? A couple of the blue chippers are gone on that side of the ball. I think the one that's left is Panay Sewell, who is, you know, the dude had like three total pressures his last full season as a 19-year-old. Now, okay, it was in the yeah. Pac-12, not against phenomenal opposition, but that's still pretty freaking impressive. Yeah, I like Sewell to the Lions. They have Taylor Decker at left tackle. Sewell can start at right tackle. I, I think it's a fine fit. I think he could be there. I think ultimately Cincinnati does take him, though, at five, right? <laughs> but if, if Sewell's there, I like that pick for the Lions. And then the Panthers, after going to get Darnold, t- maybe taking themselves out of the QB sweepstakes. Yeah, I think they are. Uh, Cameron Irving slated to be their left tackle at the moment, so I like Rashawn Slater step in as, and be a starter. Yeah. Um, look, they, I think, have bought in fairly conclusively to the idea that Darnold has been broken by the environment around him. They are already giving him the best environment he's ever had in terms of receivers, in terms of coach, in terms of play calling. The one area where that environment doesn't look dramatically better is the offensive line. So let's address that now and give him a tackle that some people 
have as the number one tackle on their board. Now, since I was just watching the 1999 NFL draft, just, uh-huh. just for fun, I was, I was thinking about this. I feel, I feel weird mock drafting and going through and just picking all these offensive players. Even as PFF, where we think about offense first and defense is unstable, but there's a lack of impact defensive players in this draft, right? Mm-hmm. So in 1999, there were actually similarities. Three quarterbacks came off the board to start. Tim Couch, Donovan McNabb, Achilles Smith. Now, the difference was the next two were both running backs, Edron James and Ricky Williams. So in yours, it's Kyle Pitts, it's Jamar Chase, it's pass catchers. And then another receiver in 99, Torrey Holtz, came off at six. The first defensive player wasn't until number seven. It was Champ Bailey. And then there was another receiver, David Boston, at eight. I just think it's fascinating looking back at 1999, and there's two receivers, two running backs, and three quarterbacks in the first eight picks. I think this year we could see just a massive run in the top 10 of just all offensive players, much like we're seeing in your mock draft and a lot of our mock drafts. Yeah. I mean, one of the big differences, I think, between that 99, I was, uh, do you think that the days of like running backs in the top five are just done? Because you don't have to go back that far. We're a couple years removed from it, but yeah, yeah. I think we are. I think it feels are. like a completely different world where like a, a couple of running backs can go in the top five, and yet you go back. To where what, Zeke was the last one? Is Fournette. That right? Fournette. Yeah, you don't have to go back far to find them, but it does feel like this different world of like, you know, 99, where it's like, oh, we get done with the quarterbacks, then we move on to the next most valuable position, running back, and then on down the sequence. I want to say that we're done with it, but it's like this class has some solid backs. I mean, even like Josh Jacobs going in the 20s. But if you had another Bell Cow, Herschel Walker looking guy like a Leonard Fournette I could see teams talking themselves into that guy in the top 10 again or another Christian McCaffrey type he went he went eight a couple years ago I could see them talking talking themselves into that guy I again I just thought it was fascinating that it was so offensive minded much like this year's draft so mm-hmm. um another offensive player Devontae Smith at nine so the Dolphins drop from six to nine and get Devontae Smith I I like this, right? I mean, this is yeah. you pick up an extra third, and in theory, Devonte slots into a major position of need here. Depending on how desperate Denver is, they potentially net a win on that trade from twelve to nine. You know what I mean? So they they trade from three to, to twelve with the Forty ers then jump from twelve to six, presumably targeting a player like yep. Jamar Chase. But then, if Chase is gone, they trade down to nine. Depending on how desperate Denver is for that quarterback, they pick up that premium. And actually end up making good on that move as well. And end up with Devontae Smith at the end of it all, who might end up being a better receiver than Jamar Chase. Like I think it's a great way to do when it. When you yeah. look at the comparison between the two, the only thing that stands against Devontae Smith, who, remember, won the Heisman Trophy last year, which is not an award that tends to go to wide receivers. Like, I don't know, who was the last receiver that won the Heisman? Are we going back to, like, Desmond Howard? Like how Desmond long Howard, Tim Brown right? Yeah. You've got to go back a while for a receiver to win that thing. So the only thing against Devontae Smith is that the dude plays at 170 pounds and there simply aren't a a long and glorious history of receivers succeeding at that weight and at six foot one in the NFL. On the other hand, there isn't a huge history of wide receivers winning the Heisman in the last 20 years. So he's already an outlier. This is kind of like the Kyla Murray height thing to me, right? Why will it suddenly become a problem? He's already the outlier. He's already a guy who has succeeded in spite of being two foot tall. So why is it suddenly going to be a problem? 
Devontae Smith already just won the Heisman in the SEC, putting first-round corners into a blender for a couple of years. Why will being 170 pounds suddenly become a problem at the NFL level? That so anyway, I look. I, You're a Devonte Smith guy. I, I am. get it. And look, I get being scared of it. I think it's real, and I think because he's so close to Jamar Chase, even I would lean Chase because like that 30 pounds is is enough to scare me. But I would not be in the slightest bit surprised if Devonte Smith was a better receiver immediately. And for the extra pick, I mean, again, it comes down to what you get an extra third rounder. I mean, I gave yeah, like it's Devontae I think and Denver a third rounder. For Jamar Chase, essentially, if you're the, well, not even for Jamar not Chase, even for Jamar but like, Chase, uh, it would be for like a Panay Sewell. But I'm just saying the decision that Jamar Chase wasn't on the clock, it wasn't on the board. But you're debating what is the drop off from Jamar Chase to Devontae Smith? Well, if I have an extra third rounder, I still feel better about that move in general. Yeah. By I the think, way, we forgot about Saquon Barkley in the top. Yeah, yeah. And going I, I, second a couple of years ago, I yes. think Denver would cough up a lot more than a third round pick to make that move. Because they really want Trey Lance. Well, they really want a quarterback. They really want to not be starting Drew Locke in 2021. And that's their only way of making that happen. So we finally have a defensive player come off the board. Dallas at 10 takes Patrick Sertan. Yeah. From Alabama. Two, please. Two. Two. Patrick Sertan, two. First defensive player. Good fit for the Cowboys. Very common. This might be the most mock, uh, common mock draft pick. For yeah. us, I think it was Caleb Farley before. He dropped a little bit with some of his back concerns, which I guess got signed off on this weekend. But... Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys, well, really nice. Well, yeah, it, at least <laughs> the reports that he did well in his rechecked medical at the Combine, which is in Indy still, but only exists to medically screen a bunch of prospects. Having said that, the report came from his agent, Drew Rosenhaus. So, I mean, you know, how negative would it be if <laughs> coming out of that? Look, I think it's probably Let's true. Let's get that, Drew on here to discuss his, yeah. his players and try to get some negatives i think it's probably true that he checked out and it all was okay it wasn't supposed to be a major concern this time around the concern is simply that he's had two bank procedures already and that's never a good thing all right so now we've got more more movement here you've got the patriots yeah trading up Mm -hmm. for the last remaining first round caliber quarterback at 11 overall here in most eyes um yeah patriots get within sight of a quarterback and make a jump to 11 to snag Mac Jones. Tom Brady, 2.0. Um, I think this works out well. Look, this is, again, so one of these quarterbacks falls outside of the top 10, but only to 11, and that puts him within striking distance of a team like the Patriots who don't have a great answer at quarterback right now. They, this whole team they just deployed an absolute boatload of money, and they still have, like, a bad um, answer at quarterback in terms of a low price gamble of cam newton somehow rediscovering his old form alternatively they get within sight of a mac jones and it's like i can see that i can see how he works in this offense i can see how he works with this bunch of playmakers and at this cost jumping from um where they where they start 15 15 to 11 that's worth doing Jumping from 12 to 3 and therefore investing three first-round picks in Mac Jones, that's a hell of a lot more risky. Jumping from 15 to 11, I can get on board with that. I like the way you're weighing that. Um, and again, it's like, okay, the Patriots have Cam Newton for one more year, and, and, and it's always worth a shot. I think the Patriots are in position to take a shot at quarterback. I just want to come back to, if you're the New England Patriots after having Tom Brady for 20 years, is that an advantage to say finding the next Tom Brady like do you know what you're looking for because it's a guy that or if you had a Drew Brees 
for the last 15 years, like the Saints, right? Is that an advantage to finding the next guy? Because they weren't, like, Breeze wasn't really a diamond in the rough, but he was still, he was a second rounder. Brady's essentially the classic diamond in the rough, right? A guy that was fighting for his job at Michigan, always outplayed his his competitors. It's not like the Dolphins replacing Dan Marino. Like, Dan Marino looked different the entire time. Had a crazy arm, and it's like, okay, he's just tough to find, but if I see a guy that looks like Dan Marino, I'll be able to see the arm. You know how Tom Brady operated and ticked and all that stuff. So when you're investigating the next QB prospects, if you're in New England, are you sitting there like, well, Tom had this and this and yeah. this, and that's what we're looking for? Or are you just like, whatever, he's he's a unicorn, right? and I mean, we can never replicate that. I do think that that's – look, if <sighs> – if you're looking for the next Tom Brady, you're probably going to be disappointed just in perpetuity. It's, you're talking about the greatest quarterback to ever play the game who did it in a way that most people haven't done. You know, six-round pick was undervalued uh, from the start, had the dad bought in 2000 as, you, as a combine invitee. Like, the whole thing is just you're not going to replicate that again. It's, it's kind of dumb to try. But if there's a team that at least should be able to identify the – factors or the thing behind the scenes that made Tom Brady as good as he was or the reasons that he was able to succeed in spite of whatever limitations he had I mean the Patriots had a first row seat to that for the last 20 years so if anybody can see them it should be them now I don't know if Mac Jones has those and I don't think anybody does but again the Patriots are as well positioned as anybody to understand if he does have the critical factors that will offset not being the best athlete in the world, not having the strongest arm in the world, having to make a massive adjustment from wide the hell open receivers at all times um, for Alabama versus, you know, NFL covered receivers. And Michigan had the same thing. If you watch Michigan's film back in 99, back in 99. Brady had a great, he had Steve Hutchinson protecting him. He had great time. He had receivers getting open. So, you know, it's been done before. Tom Brady did it. Um, I just think it's fascinating that, you know, teams have psychology tests and all these different things to predict prospects and it's like well the Patriots might have their own homespun thing where it's like they got into the brain of the greatest quarterback of all time and I don't know if it's an advantage or not all right let's go through some of these next few picks the Eagles at 12 Quiddy Pay going back to the defensive line the Chargers at 13 go Christian Darasaw there's your starting left tackle to finish the offensive line overhaul oh and then you decided to what oh we'll get to the Vikings pick in a minute Mm because you finally you mm-hmm. finally agreed with me now that you put your real mock draft together. No, I didn't agree with you at all. I just got screwed by myself a pick earlier. Um, yeah, look, Eagles was the same pick I think we made in our mock draft. They That team has been at its best when they've been able to run seven deep with guys who can generate pressure on the defensive line. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham aren't getting any younger. Derek Barnett is good, not great. They could use one more dominant player on that defensive line. Quiddy Pay brings some sort of – um, interior, outside uh, versatility as well. You can move him around. You can get back to that position where you're going to generate pressure at all times. And I think that's what they need, particularly when they've kind of passed on a quarterback for this year. Really quick, interesting number on the, the guys that are like first-round hopefuls at edge defender. Quiddy Pay has the second most snaps of the group. Now listen like how, 1,300 and something. And he only has 1,300. That's about you know two seasons of 600-plus or whatever. That's not a lot of experience. Yeah. But Joseph Asai from... Texas over 1500 Pay over 1300 the next few guys aren't even over a thousand Jalen Phillips from Miami Aziz Ojolari from Georgia Jason Owe from Penn State and Gregory Rousseau from Miami all those guys are 960 or less which I think is just one of the underrated stories about 
projecting some of these defensive players. There's just a smaller sample size. Harold Landry played 1,050 last year alone. Right, just as perspective, right? Not even counting the playoffs. No, a guy like Chris Jones a couple years ago at Mississippi State, one of my big takeaways was he had one full season and like a half season of work that were just elite, and it was about 1,000 snaps. So like we've seen this happen before. I think I just think that it's it makes the projection a little bit yeah. harder. If you but, count the playoffs, five edge rushers were over 1,000 snaps last season in the NFL. Yeah, it's just not a lot of football that's been played uh, with a lot of these guys. So a lot of them are projections, uh, Pay included. Darisaw goes to the Chargers, loving the way that offensive line looks. I think this is a great situation for the Chargers, grabbing at least yeah. one of those top three tackles. And this is it was interesting how many teams are in the position of needing a starting left tackle in the draft. Um, like, you know, this idea of you don't draft for need, you don't go into the draft with a glaring hole that you need to fill because all of a sudden that's how you end up in a tough spot. Um, the Chargers are one, but I think they're high enough that they're okay. They, they know there will be one there. But once you get beyond the Chargers, it suddenly starts to get kind of desperate for some of these teams. So the Chargers take Darisaw, which helps complete that overhaul on the offensive line and leaves the Vikings boned one spot further down. The Vikings are looking at this going, sweet, we're, we've got the, the card filled in, Darisaw's name's on it, we're about to run up, make the pick, boom, gone. Now you're like, all right, now we're screwed. What do we do? So I've gone on the basis that, yeah, I don't like it. I would love <clears throat> my starting left tackle, but my starting left tackle just went a pick earlier, so screw it, we'll take Barmore. And that's, that's us looking at <coughs> Darisaw as the third tackle in the draft, being a little bit higher. The, the, next, the next tackle that comes off the board is Tevin Jenkins for you, 24, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So... You you went with what I said, though. Mm. I wanted Christian Barmore even over Darisaw yeah. for the Vikings. You bring him in. You let him play three-tech. You get a three-man D-line rotation with Michael Pierce and Dal- Dalvin Tomlinson. A year from now, Barmore is your three-tech, and Tomlinson's your nose. And Look, you need, you need better pass rush, and Christian Barmore is the best rusher to come out in a couple years. I think he might make a bigger impact than a tackle anyway for the Vikings. So I like Barmore. Bama interior defensive lineman at 14 to the Vikings. Now 15, the Giants draft a linebacker. It's Micah Parsons, and I love Micah Parsons, but I would be really tempted by who you took at 16, Jalen Waddell, the speed receiver going to the Giants who already brought in Kenny Galladay and have Darius Slayton and have Sterling Shepard. I'd be tempted by that one extra wide receiver piece for Daniel Jones. They already got him. They got a faster guy. They got John Ross. What are you talking about? And I do love John Ross. I would bring, yeah, I'd sign John Ross for that one year, $2 million contract. You know that. But uh, Parsons at 15 to the Giants who traded down, and then the Cardinals taking Jalen Waddell. You know the last time the Giants spent a first-round pick on a linebacker? It's like 84 or something. Yeah, Carl Banks. Carl Banks, there you and go. It just so happens that Parsons like, looks like Carl Banks. Perfect. Carl, you know, Carl does you know, analysis and all that stuff now. I bet he, every year he's like thinking, we need, to mo- we need a linebacker. Yeah. We're going to mock a linebacker. It's great. In the first it's like round. Micah Parsons looks like the last linebackers that the Giants were taking in the first round because he looks like a player that belongs in 1984. Um, so I think it's actually it's it's a great fit. Um, Parsons is interesting because he he brings that sort of presence to a defense, and he if he has question marks, they're in coverage. But I think he has that Dante Hightower thing where he can offset whatever those concerns are by being this like above and beyond presence as a blitzer. And if you need to, like if you get him in the building and you decide that yeah, you know what, I don't love what he does in coverage. In an ideal world, we need to hide him a little bit and take him out of that coverage scheme as much as possible. The good thing is you've got something to do with him. Like you don't just you don't just have to hide him in the scheme. It's like, well, let's deploy him on the rush 
and let's cause some matchup problems up front the way that the Patriots have done for years with Hightower. And then, you know, Hightower developed in coverage. He got a lot better, and now you don't need to hide him all the time. But that was, I think, how it began. It's like, we'll take him out of coverage, we'll hide him a little bit, and take advantage of the fact that he can destroy running backs and tight ends as a pass rusher. I think the, the, the roadmap for Micah Parsons might look very similar. Yeah, it's a, it's a fair point on Parsons. If you want more on Parsons, you can break him down in the PFF NFL Draft Guide, which is all part of PFF Edge. And listen to this deal if you want to get Edge. Our friends at Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football and you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Now, here's the deal. Best ball, season-long game. You draft a team like you normally do. That's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. So if you go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit just 10 bucks using the promo code PFF, you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. The draft guide is a part of PFF Edge annual, plus you get, you know, 365 days of access. So you use the promo code PFF. It's over at Underdog Fantasy. Get your draft guide. And to be honest, because you get a year's worth of access, you'll get next year's draft guide because it's within the calendar year. This is like a just a little tip and a cheat code. You'll pretty much get the next two draft guides for the price of this $10 promo code PFF over at Underdog Fantasy. So go check it out. Underdog Fantasy promo code is PFF. So Parsons to the Giants. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. I could see that as a good fit. I like they need help in the middle of the defense. Feisty defense gets even better, Sam, as you know. I love Jalen Waddle to the Cardinals. I love the speed receiver to compliment DeAndre Hopkins yeah. and Christian Kirk, and I, I love that. Um, I, I think the Cardinals looking there or at corner is is the play. And now you notably forgot somebody in this draft. Can we just admit that maybe J.C. Horn would have been a good pick here too for the for the Cardinals? No, I'm not picking J.C. Horn at 16. You're lower on J.C. Horn, but not low enough to kick him out of the first round, right? Like you accidentally did here. Maybe. I so I why did, don't you like J.C. Horn? He I might be the top corner off the board, Sam. I don't love his skill set for 2021. I think if J, if a bunch of teams ran pure man coverage at all times, J.C. Horn would be the guy. I think if you actually need to run zone, which every team in the NFL does most of the time, I don't love J.C. Horn's fit for that. I don't like his movement skills in terms of like his ability to flip his hips and move with fluidity the way. You compare his movement when he has to shift laterally and, re- and mirror receivers to that of Patrick Sertan. It's like night and day. It's two completely different worlds. Um, like J.C. Horn, I think, is very good when he can get physical with the receiver at the line of scrimmage. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Richard Sherman on Chris Collinsworth's pod is like J.C. Horn's the guy that's going to be the great, you know, the, the, the best corner from this draft because that's kind of what Sherman did for years, right? doesn't run a 4-3, so gets by, and not just gets by, thrives because he beats receivers up at the line of scrimmage, gets hands on them and causes them problems. Problem is, I think that's a pretty small landing to have to stick. I think it's a very tough skill set to master, and there's a lot of tape of J.C. Horn not mastering it at the college level. Like, Devontae Smith put that dude in a freaking blender when they played. Um, So I don't think that J.C. Horn is A, the number one corner in this draft. I don't think he's even in that conversation. What? I don't even know if he's a first round player. Um, Dude, I'm going to, I'm going to have you challenge Richard Sherman's going to be a guest on the PFF draft show draft weekend. I'm going to have to get you on camera that with being Sherman said, challenging him. That being said, I did kind of forget about him in this mock draft and he probably should have been taken 
at least where I put Greg Newsom. But there's no Fair. way I wouldn't put him. I wouldn't put him as high as Arizona at 16. I don't think that would be a good thing. Look, sometimes you forget to write out the card and send the card in, mm. and that's what, and that's what happened to you. How about the Raiders at 17 going Caleb Farley here? Yeah. So I, this is a little bit of what I would do, and a little bit of, of course, the Raiders would do this. Caleb Farley, you know, injury question mark sliding down the draft. If you look at the mock draft sim uh, at his peak, he was like a borderline top 10 draft pick. He would have been the first corner off the board, would have been going at the, the bottom of that top 10. Now he's slipping to like an average draft position of like 26, something like that. He's on the slide because of concerns about those injuries. Now, if they did check out, if we're not concerned about that, we are talking about a cornerback who has the most absurd burst to the football and recovery speed of any cornerback we've studied coming out of the draft since we've been doing college football. So 2014, talking about the last six, seven years, nobody has closing burst the way Caleb Farley does. And he's got freaky size. Like a guy as big and long as he is should not be able to move like that. It is rare. That's the kind of player that the Raiders fall over themselves to draft. He's a defensive equivalent of Henry Ruggs, except he might actually be a really good player as well. The defensive equivalent of Henry Ruggs. Yeah. Because he's got the best. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I mean, I love Farley. I love him there. Um, again, I'll be, if there are any concerns about his injury, it's easier for me to swallow if I've got the extra first-round pick, if I've got a little bit of a safety net. But look, the Raiders have questions at corner. they got the new scheme over there. They're going to play. I mean, they need a Richard Sherman left cornerback in that system. And Farley's a different player than Richard Sherman, but he's got that skill set that they would potentially tap into. I don't mind it. It's a, it's a boomer bust type of pick because of the nature of the position plus the back injury. So Farley to the Raiders at 17. You have Jalen Phillips, the Miami edge, going to the Miami Dolphins. Rashad Bateman, wide receiver, going to the football team. I think we've talked about that as a really nice fit mm -hmm. to compliment Terry McLaurin. Thoughts on Phillips and the Dolphins and just getting an edge? I think that is one of those positions they're going to be targeting. Also, I think they're going to be targeting running back oh, at this on. spot. Stop I really it. do. I think this is where, in real life... Stop it. Look, just full perspective here. At PFF, because of how we value running backs, we're not even thinking that about taking any of them. Najee Harris, look. Travis Etienne... Any of those. We're not thinking about taking any of them. I'm saying realistically, the first time Najee Harris could come off the board is 18 to the Dolphins. Look at the moves they have made. This is a woke 21st century franchise. They are not drafting a running back at number 18. They are perfectly happy to roll into the season with Miles Gaskin as their starting running back if their offensive line is dramatically improved. Not happening. They are going to target edge rusher because they don't have an edge rusher. And they have that extra first-round pick to play with and a ton of draft capital coming down the pike with all the moves they've made. They are going to take a gamble, essentially. Pick your favorite gamble. Like, almost all of these edge rushers have some kind of gamble associated with them. As you said, low sample size for all of them, injury history, whatever it is, every one of them has some kind of major question mark, which is why none of them are going, you know, where Chase Young went. Um, so Miami, pick your favorite. And I have no idea who their favorite will be, but... Let's go with Jalen Phillips. Yeah, I like I like Phillips. He could be the best guy. He could be the best one in this group here. I'm just saying, I think they might no. think about Stop. a running back there. Stop it. 
Bateman to the football team. Love nice all-around threat with McLaurin, with Curtis Samuel. This is one of my favorite picks of the first round. I just I think this situation would be phenomenal. Do you have uh, a least favorite pick in the first round? There's always one that you're just like – I don't reluctantly, love – Probably Trevon Morig. To yeah, the, I don't love that one. Um, I think every Bears pick – I'm sorry, but every Bears pick at 20 is going to feel sad. We talked about this on the last <laughs> podcast. It's like, oh, you got a safety. That's All probably, the quarterbacks yeah. are gone. That's probably my least favorite. I don't love that. Um, I think the rumor mill is starting to get strong, and you've heard you've heard this Davis Mills is going to go in the first round, mm-hmm. and I think it's because of teams like the Bears. And I don't know if people are starting them or if there's actual leaks. Right, there's going to be five QBs off the board. So does Davis Mills or Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond or any of these guys who are definitely better day two type of prospects, if any of them are going to sneak into the first round, it's potentially the Bears at 20 – or the Steelers at 24, right? I mean, it's 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 unlikely, but I think if you're hearing rumors about this sixth first-round quarterback, it's because the Bears are sitting there at 20 on the outside looking in. Remember the list of names you read out for the fourth overall quarterback yeah, taken every year? Do sixth. Can you imagine what it looks like for number six? Um, well, I know I, it won't be worse than Christian Hackenberg, which, which was who was It might fourth. be the same. Uh, like Zach I, Prescott might have been the sixth off the board one year. Yeah. I Yeah. I Look. I, it would be bad, I think, if Chicago went, we are so in need of a quarterback that we need to jump, we need to reach and take the sixth best one in the middle of the first round still when nobody else really thinks any of these guys are worth first rounders. Every year, there's usually a bit of buzz about like a big, toolsy quarterback with a big arm, usually with some fairly major flaws, sneaking into the first round You know, as we get towards the draft, like Davis Webb, right? And it, it's always crap, right? They never go anywhere near the first round. It's just that as you get to the draft and somebody's talking to a team whose scout is like, oh, I love this guy. Look at his huge arm. Big guy. Like, and you're like, that guy doesn't make any decisions in this building. That guy is just the one lunatic in the corner of the room going, dude, this is the best quarterback I've ever seen in my three years working the Pac-12. We need to draft <laughs> this guy in the first round. And it's, that's who's talking right. to the reporter. So it's like, oh, first, first round, round buzz round. for Davis Webb. That's what's happening right now with Mills. There will be over 100 players with at least some kind of first-round buzz. By right, the but the point is, whose first-round grade is it? Is it? Is it the GM? Is it the dude that's actually throwing the card in? Or is it just some crackpot who works like the regional circuit for this team and has no say in anything? It's probably not the Bears saying first. I, I don't think that Davis Mills is going to go in the first to the Bears. Trevon Morig, best safety in the draft, top one on the PFF draft board. I really like him. Two high guy, single high. Uh, Tayshawn Gibson's out for the Bears. I think he fills a need. It is unexciting, but the Bears are in this position where you just got to keep drafting good yeah, players. That's got to be it. And it it does feel unexciting, but it's also like he's a playmaker. That dude has led the nation in pass breakups for each of the past two years. He will make changes to that Bear secondary, which has started to sort of leak away the talent that made it such a good unit in the past. They do need to start throwing picks back at it to replenish that talent, and you pair him with an Eddie Jackson, that has the potential for some real excitement as a duo. It just doesn't feel exciting because it's a safety. All right, Jason Owe, the Penn State edge, goes to the Colts at 21. We have pegged the Colts with a tackle for the most part. They've got that big left tackle uh, need. But we've also said eh, a couple free agents out there that could step in and step into a playoff caliber team, and I think they'd be happy with that. Owe is just a classic Chris Ballard pick, though, here at 21. Freaky athleticism. They like the length. They like the uh, the get off. And 
edge is one of the, their weakest positions. Yeah, and they've also got a history of taking not just athletes, but athletes who have been like good, not great players. You know, I don't know if it's a conscious decision of we will get we will make those two things meet in the middle, right? We'll take the super athlete and the guy who's been good, and we'll try and make it mesh and find make him play great up to the talent of that athleticism. Um, or if it's just that's just the way it's worked, but they have this history of sort of targeting guys that are super athletes that haven't quite been as dominant as they've been. And it's, it, I mean, it's hit or miss results. Like some of them panned out great. Darius Leonard, friend slash enemy of the show. Um, <laughs> some of them have not been so great. But I, this, you're right. This is a classic Colts pick. Yeah, I think there's there's linebackers in this class too. Every time I see them, I'm like, oh, there's a you know rangy, athletic, you know, long linebacker, perfect Colts. They can't just draft a linebacker like that every year. But they, the Colts have a type, and I think Owe is is certainly in that type. In the, in this uh, fantasy world that you've created here, Sam, are mm-hmm. they going to sign one of our? friends russell okung or ali Val- uh, villanueva on in free agency or are they going to come back draft a tackle I, I still think they need to add receiver help as well i mean i think they're going to look and see what the landscape is like in the second round um there's a like a watershed moment the early may i think there's a mark where veterans that you sign don't count um in terms of uh like impacts uh for compensatory uh, comp- compensatory pick formula all that kind of things so just like you hate ins- when you put the emphasis in the wrong syllable early except, in the word and you can't that isn't that's like the way normal people say it um the wrong. there's like an incentive essentially to wait until that threshold to, to sign veterans that have been out in this market for a while right so the colts they've like, they spent this entire offseason essentially playing this game of chicken at the tackle position like waiting and waiting and waiting and trying to find this ideal situation where they they get the most out of it, maybe they're prepared to wait even further and hope that one of those guys is still there past that deadline of May. Then you can jump on him, sign him, not not sacrifice a draft pick because of it, and still end up with like an Ali Villanueva as your starting left tackle, which is a fine place to be. I think that's the play. I'm also wondering if the Colts have they've spent a lot of years accumulating picks and building a really young roster. So the same way they were aggressive last year to go get DeForest Buckner with a first rounder, I wonder if they'd be aggressive to go get one player as well. Like if, if the other pieces are in place, if they would be trading up for a Darasaw or a Panay Sewell into, you know, 12 or 13 or wherever they might be able to get him. But oh, wait, I like at 21. 22, the Titans get a corner in Greg Newsom from Northwestern. And then the Jets take Asante Samuel from Florida State. This is where we could just pretend you put J.C. Horn in one of these spots. This is if I was... Going back and re-engineering the mock so that J.C. Horn made it into the first round. And honestly, I don't hate that he's in the second round. But if I was doing that, it would be this pick that he went. To the Titans? Yes, 22 Titans. So you add him to Christian Fulton, Janoris Jenkins. Uh, I think being able to... Look, the Titans, they, they were making it to the playoffs for a few years, even before Tannehill caught fire. Making it to the playoffs because they were rolling three deep at corner. And I think that them getting depleted there without Malcolm Butler, without Adoree Jackson, without Logan Ryan now over these last couple of years. I think it's one of the biggest stories in the Titans, uh, for the Titans, a team that is losing wide receiver two in Corey, uh, Corey Davis. They're losing their tight end and they've got all these other holes popping up, but the Titans getting back to a solid corner grab, a cornerback unit is huge. Greg Newsom helps from Northwestern and then Asante Samuel going to the Jets I think you've got the Robert Sala defense. You've got, you know, it's the Seattle tree. It's not perfect like that, but 
you generally think of these long press corners, but he's made do with different types of corners with the Niners. Does Asante Samuel fit what they're going to want to do with the Jets? Yeah, I mean, Asante Samuel can be uh, Jason Verrett, who played really well within that system last year. Um, it, it's interesting. Asante Samuel is not in the same world as J.C. Horn in terms of athletic gifts, but I think he's a better player um, and a more natural player for today's NFL. And I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up being a better NFL player. I am a little bit concerned, you know, as much as... So recent history of certain positions makes you rethink things. Recent history of cornerbacks in the NFL. There is something to this idea of, look, if you're 5'10 and 180 pounds and you don't run a 4'2", you're just behind the eight ball, right? Like, he's the same size as Troy Hill. Troy Hill's a really good player, but you don't want Troy Hill covering DK Metcalf. Right. Because he's given up six inches in height, 50 pounds in weight, and he can't run as fast as Metcalf. Like, there's nothing you have that puts you ahead of that guy when you're covering him one-on-one. Asante Samuel is dealing with the same kind of disadvantages. Now, unlike Troy Hill, I do think he has a couple of special traits that claw back some of that advantage. Like, he has a ridiculous ability to break on the ball faster than receivers. Like, he runs their routes for them a bunch of times. And he starts his movement so soon that I think it's also, it has to be tape recognition as well. I don't think he can do that just reacting to the move, to the movement of the receiver. There's not enough of a delay, which I think is actually a good thing because it means that not only is he really good at that, that skill, but he's in the tape to right. the point where he's reading it, it coming. It putting it into action yeah, on yeah, the but, field. But which the is point huge. is he's, at least, he's studying enough that he recognizes that coming before it happens, which I think is a really encouraging thing for the NFL level. Again, that's what Richard Sherman has been so good at for years and doesn't get enough credit for because we think of him as just surviving on physicality and size and length. Sherman is probably the smartest cornerback in terms of tape and route recognition and play concepts and understanding what's coming before he has to react to anything. Um, and that helps him a ton as well. So Samuel has a bunch of plays where you're like, he's moving before the receiver's even making his break. He's coming towards this guy on a hitch before the receiver has shown any inclination that he's throttling down, and therefore he's breaking up those plays. You need that if you're going to run a 4-4. He also has one play, which is one of the most impressive plays I've seen any cornerback make ever. Um, it's a simple crossing route, an over route from the, the far side of the formation. And Samuel recognizes that there's basically nothing in his side of the field, no, no threat. So there, so there must be something coming into it, right? If I'm just standing here doing nothing, where, where's the threat going to be? Recognize that, it, that it's coming from the over from the other side of the field. And is basically just sitting in the hole waiting for the quarterback to get there in his progression. He does eventually, and it looks like the quarterback just threw the ball right to the corner. Easy play, gimme, right? But it's because he was there so far ahead of the play that he was basically just sitting there waiting for the quarterback to read the, the same thing. That's freakish ability to diagnose that kind of thing. And that's what, that's what his dad did. Like, again, it's the dumbest analysis in the world to be like, Asante Samuel Jr. Reminds is just Asante Samuel Sr. But there's a reason that Sr. was able to succeed despite the same physical limitations because he was really good at that stuff as well. Something you said there that was important, right? When you talk about Richard Sherman and understanding route concepts – it, he has to do that because that's the system that they've run in Seattle and then when he played with San Francisco. He's playing left corner. He's not just matching up man-to-man all the time. He's reading run, co- he's reading concepts. And when you play, cover three variants 50 60% of the time like Seattle and San Francisco have, 
you see the same route concepts over and over. There's only a few that defeat that coverage. And Sherman has been unbelievable at recognizing those, right? You're going to run a scissors in a corner. Like they're going to put you, try to put you in a bind as a left corner, right? And high low you and make you switch off and, you know, run an extra wheel route through there and all that stuff. So if Asante Samuel is good at that, that's a good scheme fit. Yeah. That's a better scheme fit than just like a 6'2 guy with long arms, right? right? It's the ability to see it's also, what's happening and what, how you're being attacked. It's also really important for Samuel because he's 5'10, 180, and runs a 4'4, right? A guy like, and I, I'm not saying he doesn't have the skill set, but a guy like Caleb Farley doesn't need to be good at that stuff because Farley can see it later and has so much burst that it doesn't matter. He can get there anyway. He can lose a yard in the break because he's faster than you are to the ball and he's 6'2 and long arms. He can get there at the catch point and break it up. Asante Samuel, if he doesn't have this skill set, is screwed because he's going to lose a yard in the break and he can't get it back because the dude's going to run faster than him and he's bigger than him. And if the ball is well thrown, he can't get back in the play. Asante Samuel needs the yard that he sees before the receiver does or that he sees earlier than other people. And I think he has that skill. If he didn't have that skill, we would have some real problems. So Asante Samuel to the Jets. Next three picks, Tevin Jenkins, the tackle out of Oklahoma State, goes to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I, I think the Steelers and the Bears feel like the most unexciting teams in general yeah. in this first round, I mean, the right? Steelers are another one of those teams going into the draft kind of with a desperate need at one particular position. It's tackle, and there's already a few off the board, and now you're in the spot of, well, do we love any of the guys that are still there? Because we kind of need to make this pick. So, I mean, Tevin Jenkins feels like a very Steelersy player, buries people in the run game, and they need to get a lot better in the run game as well. It's not just a pass blocker they need. So it feels like quite a nice fit, even if he's – potentially a little bit lower on PFF's big board than than other people have him. They're the other team I think could talk themselves into a running back here. God. Really? I mean, their fans, and, and I don't know how much you connect the fans to the front office, right? But their fans are itching for a first-round running back. They wanted to do it a couple years ago. It's a, it's a hole on the roster. I mean, Benny Snell is the, you know, scheduled starter at the moment. But, I you know, we obviously see their roster as losing. It, it, Justin Lane's a... a projected starting corner right now cornerbacks a need it's already difficult enough for them to match their defensive performance over the last couple of years their offensive line has massive question marks as they're going to have you know three new starters four new starters there now so all these different holes big bends re- you know regressing and people really want a running back there for the Steelers so but I could see them talking themselves into hey we need this running game we got to take pressure off big Ben we can't just throw the ball we just threw the ball 70 times against the Browns in the playoffs. We have to run the ball. I could see them talking themselves into a running back. A few picks earlier, I said there's zero chance the Miami Dolphins would take a running back in the first round. They're, they're too woke a franchise. They understand what's driving all these things. There's no way they make that move. The Steelers, I think, could easily make that move. The Steelers could definitely look at their situation and go, you know what? When we had this great running game with Le'Veon Bell, everything was good. We were winning. That's what we need to get back to. And we thought James Conner was that guy, and he hasn't really been that guy. So we got to find a first-round running back. That's how you lock this up. That's how you secure it. You get the first-round talent. Failing to understand that the difference between the two scenarios is that your offensive line has fallen apart, and therefore you can't have a good running game anymore because you don't have the platform for it to work off. That's why I've given them a, an offensive lineman, a guy that will actually move that needle in terms of run blocking. Uh, I wouldn't be in the least bit shocked if they did what you're suggesting and decided that the root cause of the issue is 
the running back we have was no longer a first-round talent. Let's get another one. Yeah, I, we'll see. It, it could be an interesting spot for the Steelers, or they just grab their center for the future. Uh, Jaguars at 25. Uh, one of the more intriguing picks for me, it's that I love the, the pick after the franchise quarterback. I always love that. You know, you get the left tackle for the future, whatever it is. The Jets already made it earlier with Asante Samuel, so they go corner. Um, the Jags' second pick here, you go Rondell Moore. Mm. And again, once Urban Meyer went to Jacksonville, I was looking at Rondell Moore, Kadarius Toney. I was looking at all of these uber slot types at 25 as a great fit for Jacksonville and what Urban Meyer has done historically. So Rondell to the Jags to play with Trevor. I'm, I'm interested in this. Rondell Moore is just such a mystery to me because he's one of the most dynamic players in the entire draft. The guy runs a 429 427 what did he run um but he's tiny like 57 which is two inches shorter than people thought he was when they thought he was tiny um true he was the best player on the field anytime he was on the field but his college career peaked as a freshman which in and of itself is ridiculous now normally when you say that it's a very bad thing because a guy peaked as a freshman didn't get any better got worse and you're like well his freshman season wasn't that great so what do we do with that but with Rondale Moore, his freshman season was freaking incredible. Uh, it's just that it, that, was, that was the peak. And then he got injured, and, and there was the COVID year, which caused problems. And, but, and his, so consequently, his, his role within that offense never really developed. He was always a gimmick player. He was always a guy that caught screens, and the entire system was built around just getting the ball in his hands. That's not going to be the case in the NFL. You just don't build an offense around one playmaker like that. Um, so he's going to have to change and evolve, uh, which is a massive projection because we haven't seen it. But just the sheer freakishness of his athletic ability, I think, is worth the first-round gamble to see if you can do that. Um, and I think the Jags, because they have that extra first-round pick, are one of a few teams that it makes sense to make that gamble with. Because if Rondale Moore works out and you figure out how best to use him in this offense, he's a cheat code. I mean, he is a he's just free plays that you don't get with other players, and that takes pressure off Trevor Lawrence, and it takes pressure off DJ Chark and everybody else that has to sort of win conventionally um, because Rondale Moore is out here just catching a gimmick screen or a jet sweep and taking it 50 yards. Like, he's doing Tyree Kill things. And that just changes the dynamic for everybody. And then I look at how that group of playmakers has been built. DJ, DJ Chark is the number one. His contract's up soon. We'll see if he ends up being a long-term play there with the Jags. But LaVisca Chenault, who they drafted last year, has that gimmicky player, with, but with number one wide receiver potential, right? We don't know what LaVisca's potential really is. Mm -hmm. Bring in Marvin Jones for a couple of years. He's your contested catch guy. Marvin Jones as a three is fantastic. And now Rondell Moore who can play the early Tyreek Hill role, which was gimmick player, right? Which, and, you know, maybe take some... I know scouts want to just put him in the back. He's 5'7". He's a running back. I would use him as a running back at times. I would Rondell use him Moore. everywhere. I mean, I would, right? You put him all over the place. You, people are comparing Jalen Waddle to Tyreek Hill. I, I think... So there's a projection there that has Rondell Moore having a role similar to Tyreek Hill. Again, it's a massive projection because he hasn't really done any of this stuff. But there's nothing on his tape where you look at it and say, he cannot do those things. Like, right. he is as freakish dynamic as Tyreek Hill. He's the one guy in this draft, Waddle maybe, who has that kind of 
incredible quickness, incredible speed, he could be deployed in a similar way to Tyreek Hill. I'm not ruling out the idea that he could play on the outside and win against press coverage. We've never seen it, so who the hell knows? But I'm, I don't think you can definitively say there's zero chance that that can happen. Um, so there's a world where Rondale hits his ceiling and his ceiling is insane. Like his ceiling is Tyreek Hill-esque. Now, if I thought that was likely, he would be in the top 10 and we wouldn't be having right. this conversation. But there's right? questions. So I'm, I'm not saying like you, anytime you're saying this is the next Tyreek Hill, bad idea. You're not going to find the next Tyreek Hill in all actuality. But with Rondale Moore in particular, we should at least acknowledge that that is in his range of outcomes. It's not a particularly likely one, I would say, but it's, it's a factor that you should probably bear in mind that there's a world where he's a better NFL player than he was a college player, and he was an incredible college player. And the floor is Urban Meyer is the head coach and has used these hybrid types plenty of you know, his entire career. The floor is you'll at least get use out of him, even if he doesn't hit that ceiling, which I think makes Rondell Moore more of a fit for the Jaguars at 25 than most teams. Like the Ravens at 27, anytime the Ravens get another playmaker that's fast, I think is a win for them. You know, you know me and speed, but the Ravens and the Jags, I think would use a Rondell Moore really well. The Browns at 26 taking Jeremiah Wusso karamaro from, from Notre Dame. I love this as well. We just did a PFF daily today. I forg- forgive me for my audio had one mic issue. It'll be fixed for tomorrow's PFF NFL daily, but go check it out. All the rumors about Jadavian Clowney going to the Browns. I think that's a good fit. And the, the Browns continue to tick off draft needs in free agency before the draft so that they can continue to just draft good players. And JOK from Notre Dame just adds more coverage versatility to an evolving back seven. Yeah. Um, I, I think the Jags are in a good spot here, and I think the Browns are in a good spot one position next. JOK gives them some like actual position versatility as well. I know he's a linebacker, but he's one of those linebackers that has the skills – to match up with players in the slot. Now, you don't want him covering, you know, a shifty slot receiver, but you can move him against running backs, against tight ends, against move players. He gives you that not quite – he gives you the sort of matchup, um, you know, that idea of the only way you can uh, stop one unicorn is with another unicorn. Like, he's not quite a unicorn, but he gives you the ability to c- cause matchup problems the other way as well, or at least answer matchup problems that are being posed to you. Watching linebackers in college right now is painful. We've talked about this at the NFL level, how difficult it is to play linebacker in the NFL. And it might not be more difficult playing linebacker than against the Ravens, who sometimes you're in space against Lamar Jackson. Sometimes you've got uh, Orlando Brown and 360 pounds of him attacking you at the second level. And then other times you're trying to run with Mark Andrews up the seam. JOK is one of those guys, just like in Isaiah Simmons last year, who has the potential to be an answer. It can at least handle all of those yeah. various situations, right? And that it, it is so tough to play linebacker in today's NFL. It's going to be a bit of an adjustment for JOK playing more in the box because he was, such, he was an overhang, over-the-slot type of player for Notre Dame, but certainly has the skill set to, like you said, kind of create defensive matchups or at least answer some of those questions yeah. offenses throw he's, at you. He's kind of got Fred Warner skills. And yeah, Fred Warner right good. now might be the best linebacker in the NFL. So I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying he's going to get there, but it's that's the pathway that he's shooting for. And then I think you just copied our mock draft from last week when we went live on the mock. You went Landon Dickerson, the center, the Ravens at yeah, 27. I like that pick. Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver from LSU, goes to New Orleans down the street. Dylan Radon's tackle to that's, the Packers. That's, that's not different. A, 
That is different. That's new. Um, anything in these next couple picks? Dickerson to the Ravens, Terrace Marshall to the Saints, or Dylan Radons to the Packers? The Dickerson, I like the Dickerson pick. It's very unexciting for most people. Like, first-round Sanders, nobody likes that. First-round Sanders, though, are kind of important, and I think you Except don't— Except in Pittsburgh. They love it. I think you don't appreciate their importance until suddenly things start to go off the rails and you don't really have one. The Ravens, more than any other team, I think, should probably have a pretty good handle on the impact that the platform and offensive line gives you, has on your offense. The Ravens, suddenly the interior started to fall to pieces— and therefore the offense started to fall to pieces entirely. The run game wasn't as potent. The pass game started to collapse off the back of it. The Ravens could get a guy like Landon Dickerson, plug him in, and immediately upgrade everything on the offense. Not just that one spot, but the knock-on effect. The run game gets better. The pass game with Lamar Jackson gets better. And, you know, Dickerson's big red flag is the guy tore his ACL in the SEC championship game. But... Like, that's just not as concerning as it used to be. I mean, like an, I don't want to, I never want to get to the point of calling an ACL a routine injury, right? Because it's a pretty traumatic pr- thing to happen to you. But people recover from ACLs pretty easily these days. And it, I, then there's no concern that he won't be ready to go, you know, week one, be able to get plugged in, be an immediate starter, and away you go. And his grades at the point he tore that ACL were ridiculous, like 91.3. Um, just dominating people. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I could see Dickerson going back into the first round, whether it is Pittsburgh, whether it is Baltimore, Saints taking Terrace Marshall. There's your potential wide receiver, too, to compliment Michael Thomas. Uh, anytime you push Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris, down the depth chart a little bit, now you've got that depth again that they had when Emmanuel Sanders was there last year. I know it didn't work out for them necessarily, but it's gonna be, it's a hole, I think, if you, if you roll into the season with Traquan and Deontay Harris as your backups or your complimentary pieces to Michael Thomas the Saints if they have any sense now should be looking at this and saying all right we've gone from Drew Brees to some combination of Tamus and the days where we can just plug any no name into this offense and be confident that Drew Brees will put the ball in his hands are gone we actually start need we actually need to start thinking about wide receivers and legitimate playmakers that can get open and maximize the impact of those quarterbacks um, the ability of those guys to actually get their job done. So we need to start focusing on wide receivers. And Terrace Marshall, there's a ton of these small, shifty, fast guys at the bottom of the first round. There's not a ton of size. There's not a lot of guys that you think, okay, this is a big, powerful, fast wide receiver that can win as a true X. Um, Marshall is. like He's that guy. And I think he could actually end up getting pushed up draft boards whilst teams shy away from the smaller guys. The one name I'm looking at, because we only have Kyle Pitts as a first-round tight end on the PFF draft board, but Pat Pat Fryermuth from Penn State gets this baby Gronk moniker and all that stuff. And even Mike Renner said, yeah, he's got some baby Gronk to him. I I just think the Ravens at 27, Saints at 28, Packers at 29, all might be interested in it because he is the best all-around tight end in the draft. He can run block. He's a pretty good receiver. Good hands, good enough route runner. Ravens have done their best work with multiple tight ends. The Saints just lost uh, Jared Cook. And the Packers, they do have uh, a decent tight end room, but I, I don't know if they're just looking to the future there. I just think Fryermuth is a guy to keep an eye on. He doesn't make it in your mock. No. But I think there's a few teams where he's a good fit here. Packers go tackle. It does seem like cornerback or tackles the play for the Packers given where their needs and, and the value of the board is going to match up here I'm starting to get David Bakhtiari vibes off Radens 
like he's starting to feel similar in North Dakota of, State. Yeah, um, in terms of a player that I think has all the athletic ability to become like a top tier pass blocker at the next level, but I don't think has the power, and it might take him a little while to get there. Remember, Bakhtiari came in and like immediately was a pretty good pass blocker, and then got better and better at that area each year, and was not a good run blocker to begin with and then again got better and better but to the point where he's like okay like now he's an okay run blocker and a, like maybe the best pass blocker in the nfl again he radons feels like he could take that kind of pathway where year one might be a little bit bumpy you know he's a reasonable pass blocker doesn't offer a whole lot as a run blocker and then year two now you've, you're talking about a guy that can really hold up on the outside and maybe he'll never be a great run blocker i gotta look at that closer to your bakhtiari comp there it's not bad okay I see that Packers. Right. i had to think about that a little bit more i like it let's wrap it up three more picks here aziz ojalari goes to the buffalo bills the edge out of georgia walker little the tackle to the kansas city chiefs out of stanford and elijah moore yeah i'm all in on elijah moore to the to the box that's the other place i think running back is going to be in play two of these places bills <laughs> Yeah, are the Bills going to look running back, or are the Bucks going to look God. running back? So I mean, I've I've identified four teams: the Dolphins, Steelers, Bills, and Bucks, where I could see them thinking about uh, a Najee Harris, a Travis Etienne, or whoever. I'm going to say be two of those back. teams are too smart to do that. I'm going to okay. say the two AFC East teams are too smart to take a running back in the first round. You don't think the Bills would do it? I don't. I think everything they've done, if they're sophisticated enough to know that you should be inviting teams to run the ball against you because it's the smarter way of playing defense and the less dangerous way an offense can hurt you, you have to be smart enough to not take a running back in the first round. Counterpoint. No. Counterpoint. No. The Chiefs drafted a running back in the first round last year. Yeah, but they've never done – have they ever done they anything done all smart? They, They're sitting there – with all of these running backs just cycling in and out. But that's in the, not necessarily the, a conscious, smart decision. That's just the way that things have unfolded. The Bills I, I consciously know. went in there and deployed a defense that invited the, the smart. You know what the smart decisions the Chiefs make is when you ask Andy Reid, uh, is this a passing down? Yeah, everything's a passing down. They know. But that's just, that, to, again, that that's might, being smart. Is it? Or is it just like Andy Reid knows that Andy Reid likes passing the ball and now he has a quarterback in Mahomes, so everything's a passing down. Like, that's – Andy Reid back in Philadelphia wanted to have this offense, but he would have been ripped to pieces. He was ripped to pieces for it. Why are you not giving Bryant Westbrook the ball more? Why, why, why are you taking the ball out of this guy's hands? He's I your know. best player on offense. Andy Reid has always wanted to play this style of offense. Which is smart. Now the league has come round to his way of thinking, and he can just do it unashamedly. But I think that's different to the Bills who ran completely counterintuitively and said, let's invite a team to run the hell all over us because it's a smarter way of playing defense. So the Bills take Aziz Ojolari, 91.7, PFF pass rush grade on true pass rushes last year. you got to see some of the blocks he takes. De Deontay Brown from Alabama is like 360 pounds. Mm. And there's a few plays Ojolari takes him on as a puller. So Brown's pulling, and Ojolari just pops him. So even though we talked last time about Ojolari undersized in uh, weight yeah. from a number standpoint, but he plays big, good run defender, and just adds depth to that Bills defensive front. Yeah, I mean, I, I said in the, the mock that they've been looking for like a Jerry Hughes compliment for so long that they now need to start thinking about a Jerry Hughes successor in addition to finding the compliment. Yeah. So either way, they need to keep keep swinging at edge rusher. Walker Little, the tackle, again, I'm, I'm just the, – there's just not a lot of data out there. He moves really well. 
There are some people that really like Walker Little. Renner really likes him, likes his potential, but this is a potential play. This is, to me, Walker Little going in the first round would be one of the riskier picks because he's just never played football at a high level. Agreed, and I think the Chiefs are just in that box now where, I mean, they need a left tackle. Do they wait until the the bottom of the second round to try and get it done? Do they make the phone calls to Villanueva or Okung or whoever it is? They should be in that spot. Right, but if they're not, they're in this situation where they desperately need a left tackle in the draft and they pick at the bottom of the first round and a bunch of them could have already gone. So you basically just have to roll the dice on who's the guy you think can actually start day one as a left tackle. The the trouble, I think the reason why we're talking about the the Colts making the call to those guys versus the Chiefs is the Chiefs are a little bit tighter from a cap space standpoint the, the Chiefs can still make it work if it's like a one-year deal or void years or the whole the whole thing the Chiefs can make it work the Colts just have a little bit more flexibility to call a Russell Okung or an Ali Villanueva um, but yeah the Chiefs getting Walker Little it's a risky one to me and then Elijah Moore love this fit to the Bucs I think I think if you're the Bucs you you take you look at the draft through two lenses right am I filling any starting spots on my team no but you're making the two things you need to look at is what's the worst case scenario when I'm trying to repeat as Super Bowl champs here and what are uh you know what is what's the worst case scenario and what's the future look like so I think the two things always come back to if the secondary falls apart or if you just run out of weapons for your 44 year old quarterback so adding Elijah Moore as a receiver who could be a long-term play to help replace Chris Godwin if he has to walk at the end of the year. Moore could step right in and have quality reps because they rotate so many receivers in and out. I love Elijah Moore. I mean, to me, any receiver like Elijah Moore is a luxury pick in the first round. But if any team has earned that luxury, it's the Bucks. right? They're defending Super Bowl champions. They just completed an offseason of run-it-back business where they got everybody. Literally the only player of significance for them last season that isn't back with the team is Antonio Brown, who's still available. Like, if they needed to, they could bring him back tomorrow. Um, I think they're waiting to the draft to see how that unfolds to see if they need him or not. So you bring in Elijah Moore, who might not have upside beyond just being a really good slot receiver in the NFL. But again, if that's all he is for the Bucs, you already have Godwin, you already have Mike Evans, you already have those tight ends, you have Tom Brady, who, you know, is pretty good history in terms of making slot receivers into something pretty special. Yeah. So it might be a luxury but it's a luxury that the Bucks could make really good use of, and they don't really need anything else. Yeah, I like it a lot. I know you, yeah, you know, you don't love Elijah Moore in the first round, but you like it for the Bucks, which is fair. He, uh, he's, I think he could be. He's a slot, but a guy that can win short, intermediate, and deep with his speed, with his shiftiness and route running. Love that fit for the Bucks. I think they are destined potentially for a running back there, though. <laughs> I would lo- look. I the Bucks worst case scenario involves Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis, Sean Murphy Bunting, injuries, lack of, you know, worst performance from those guys. So I think corner could be in play there too. The place that they invested a few years ago that helped get them to the Super Bowl, continuing to to replenish their wide receiver and corner for the Bucs. It's a pretty good mock, Sam. Not surprising after last week. People complained that you, uh, you had the final say a little bit too much. Uh, when we worked together it feels more like a you problem I, it is problem. a me problem i conceded far too often yeah. especially that vikings pick man that was bad well no, you should have conceded. force and a tackle there oh, wow. but yeah nice mock go check out the uh, full analysis over at pff.com my mock will come out next monday we'll see how that shakes out all right i'm gonna be i'm gonna prepare to rip that one i don't like you know this was 
you're supposed to be ripping my mock to pieces. It doesn't feel like you've done a great job of that. I will therefore redress the balance by shredding yours next week. Okay. Well, I, you made some good picks because we agreed on a bunch of them last week. Is this was it bad content? Should I go back and yeah, fix trash you? Mm-hmm. Wait, what can I trash you for? Well, you got the right pick for Barmore of Minnesota. I would have taken Mac Jones over Trey Lance, man. Hmm. That was terrible. Mac Jones to Denver over Trey Lance. That was the play. Anyway, tell Sam, at PFF underscore Sam, what you think of his mock draft. Is it the worst one you've ever seen? Let him know. And, uh, you know, let me know next week. Uh, So the rest of the week, we've got two more shows, Thursday and Friday, more draft content. Let us know if you are interested in doing that live mock draft with us on YouTube. I'm scared, but I think we can do it. And... Yeah, we've got the draft show coming up. The entire draft weekend. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday all day. We've got a recap show on Sunday. All on PFF.com. Sounds like Chris Collinsworth's going to be there for a little bit. Special guests Richard Sherman, Al Michaels, and more. We have uh, an up-and-coming NFL analyst, former NFL player, that will be announcing. He'll be a part of the show. But it'll be the entire team tapping into the entire depth chart over here, Sam, at PFF to break down everything on draft weekend. Anything else you want to say to the people to uh, wrap up your mock draft episode here? No. No, I mean, obviously, it was a flawless mock draft, even if I slightly forgot about uh, J.C. Horn. Yeah. Um, Be sure if you are a big J.C. Horn fan, it's at PFF underscore Sam. Tell him how much he just screwed it up. So that'll do it for us this morning. Thanks to everybody live on YouTube and in podcast land. We'll see you again on Thursday.